0: Welcome to the Global Bandroom, a podcast about bands and musicians across the world. My name is Keith Kelly and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with musicians to talk about their stories and bands and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at globalbandroom. All of the Global Banner Podcasts are brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Find out how you can travel beyond expectations at mykatrip.com. Now on with the show. So I'm delighted to welcome David Rickerman, uh, Director of Bands and Associate Professor of Music at San Jose State University to the Global Band Room today. I am heading all the way to the West Coast of the United
1: (laughs) States to uh, talk to my guests today. David, welcome to the Band Room. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I promise I caffeinated before this since we were recording this at almost 2 a.m. my time, you know. So I, I'm ready to go, though. We're ready to rock. Yeah. I really appreciate it because a lot of the times when I'm doing these uh, West Coast
0: um uh interviews it's me that's doing the the thing yeah, <laughs> late, so i really do appreciate it um david you're an example we were talking offline uh, about this a little bit but you're an example of one of the people that i've connected with over the last uh, 18 months or so online on facebook and using social media um i'm i'm As people probably know from listening to the podcast, I'm an extrovert that likes talking and meeting (laughs) people. And 18 months of being locked in your home is is difficult. So my appreciation to you and to anyone else that has accepted friend requests for the
1: last (laughs) (laughs) one. It's great to actually talk to you. Yeah, great to see you in person. That's the other thing, like being able to see people and actually, you know, not just text about it is lovely. So thanks for having (laughs) yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine this, uh, I can't imagine this pandemic uh, at another time in, 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 in oh our my lives God. where this Ugh. this technology didn't exist. Like, I mean, that must have been like that for you, for, for you as well as oh, everyone yeah.
1: else, like a saving grace of our community, of our banding world too. Absolutely. I would say absolutely. And at the same time, it really became this kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know if I, other people listening or if you felt this at all, but I would do so much on zoom that then we'd get like requests from even friends who are like, Hey, we should do a zoom call. And, and, and I'm just like, Oh my God, if I have to open that app <laughs> one more time today, you know, and stare at black screens for, you know, so it became this kind of unique thing to me of like, thank, thank God we have this ability to communicate with everyone. But it was literally like PTSD every time I had to like turn it on, like, here we go again. <sighs> yeah, you know, I mean, because your,
0: your finance meeting, Looks right. exactly the same as your drinks with your friends. <laughs> yeah. Looks exactly the same as your date with your girlfriend. Looks exactly yep. the same. Like it's, it's
1: well, It all I, looks exactly the same. I got a whole bunch of really exciting backgrounds. That's how I kind of tried to keep it spicy the whole time. I was probably, for any of my colleagues that listen to this, <laughs> they'll know. I think I had a new one on each faculty meeting just literally to get laughs out of everyone. My, my favorite one is, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I have one that like I'm sitting in an X-Wing going down the oh, trench. Go. Oh, it's great. It's, it's, it's easily the best one. So so tell
0: me a little, tell me a little bit about uh, sort of online uh, work then. Um, were you
1: teaching online during all this time? Did your students yeah. get to see some of these? <laughs> yes, they did. They saw all, they saw all of them. They had better ones though. I had a student who, I mean, college kids, <laughs> you know, what, what can I say? They're very creative. I had one who had recorded himself coming into the room And like handing himself coffee, I think I'd seen this in a couple of things, and then he would pick up the coffee and (laughs) drink it. (laughs) But it was like a background of him doing it. It was, I was like, that's, (laughs) that's, that's fantastic. That's A plus in class just for that. But so we, we had a very um, uh, lucky situation. Our, our Dean Shannon Miller was actually very um, instrumental in really getting us to be able to still do uh, playing and performing outside. Um, and so we were able to do that the entire year, which was unusual for a lot of folks. Um, we were outside and we were wearing the musician mask and we were doing, um, bell covers even outside. Um, but, uh, we were able to do that. Um, it, it became, I mean, there's so many different, um, hoops we had to jump through in doing that. And students were, we were presented with new problems, for instance, almost all the other classes were online. So then there was this, a lot of like well, I can't get to rehearsal until 15 minutes later because I have to drive in now because I have to do my online class at home, you know. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And it was just all these kind of like um, logistics issues that usually I can, you know, handle fairly easily. But this is like a whole new world, you know, trying to figure out the answers to all that. And we are very lucky to live where we live in the sense that I could basically play outside the entire year and we had zero problems uh, with doing that, except for the very end. Where you know all the instruments were melting and we were melting, you know, trying to play outside. So we're um, glad that portion of it is over, but glad we had the opportunity to do it at least. So, what does the situation look like now um, for us? Uh, we are, I mean, I, I want to knock on wood or something to say this. We're pretty pretty close to normal uh, right now. So, so what we're doing at San Jose State is we are um, performing in our concert hall now and we we rehearse in our concert hall and um we aren't doing the musician masks anymore and we aren't doing bell covers and we have the doors open to the outside Hmm. so that's the one big thing that's still going on we spread out as much as we can the hall is big stage is not as big as we'd like it to be so we spread out as much as we can and then they they wear masks when they're speaking or doing anything else so they have masks to wear just not when we're playing basically um and i really have i mean so far unless i am unaware of something there haven't been any cases of it spreading at all um we've we've been and our i think our campus the student population. i mean it's required vaccination so that's the other um really wonderful thing for us that makes everyone feel a whole lot safer and i think the student population is something like 98 90 i mean it's almost it's almost all of them you know and that's everyone fantastic. in the band is for sure so so i think that gives us a little bit of breathing room um, to know that we can kind of uh, pull it off. And it's been for the students. I, I think I could speak for them in saying this. It's been just emotionally and spiritually important <laughs> to be able to do that again. I think that that mm-hmm. um, gosh, those first couple rehearsals playing in the hall again was, you know, I, I remember telling them something like I will never, ever take this for granted again, ever after all this, you know, so. Yeah. Do you uh, I've, I've, I've heard
0: conflicting uh, opinions on this uh, and, and nearly everyone that I've asked on, re- you know, on, on video uh, on a recording has has been the, has given me the optimistic answer, of course, because <laughs> they're being recorded. And it's when, <laughs> when it's, it's, when it's off, off recording, they give me the pessimistic answer. Um, are you have you any concerns that the last, let's say, 18 months, two years um, uh, has devalued in some respects? the 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 um, the presence of of live music we, you know we've lived without it for two years we've found all these ways to kind of work around it we found Zoom we've hmm. uh, is there any is there any lingering concerns because I hear this you know I hear everyone having this sense of relief that we're back hmm. but is there any lingering concerns that you have that maybe there's some damage has been done over the last two years
1: I think that I mean it would probably be naive to say there isn't any. But I do think there's going to be quite a desire to have that back. Like, I, I, and I think what's stopping that right now is we're still in it. I mean, we're still yeah. dealing with, um, issues going to see like live performances. I mean, for instance, where our next concert is, you know, vaccines required, masks required. Children have to have like a negative test within three days or something like you know like there's all these requirements for doing it. So those steps are gonna keep some people from wanting to be involved, but I don't think it's changed the desire to do it. Um, And I obviously the musicians on the planet are like absolutely, we we can't wait to get back to doing that stuff. And but I do think it'll take. I think it'll eventually get there. It's just gonna be. It's going to be a while i i I would love to think if i'm being my usual very positive optimistic self that like by the end of the spring we are as close to back to normal with maybe a few little adjustments you know um and then by the fall it you know hopefully we have a better handle on all of this and um people will be able to go back to it i'm actually more worried about um the education part of it because so many um schools have been unable to do um, music. Uh, I mean, some of them, a lot of them are coming back now, um, even if they're playing outside or, or all these other stipulations that are involved, but I do see um, the potential for especially those of us that teach at a university that like in five, six years, we should, we're going to be expecting this kind of change. We we are going to have either students that aren't usually as prepared as we would expect that type of thing. Or I, mean, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of it is, is guesswork, but I'm just kind of thinking if I had to put any kind of doom and gloom on anything, it would be that I think that there is, um, there's an unfortunate, uh, generation of kids in schools that are missing out on things that, you know, mm-hmm. and we talk a little bit offline about this. We both have kids. And, um, I know my daughter's in sixth grade right now, for instance, and, um, she missed out on half of fourth grade, all of fifth grade. And that included starting an instrument. And that included for us, like going to fifth grade science camp. And my youngest had to do kindergarten online last year, this is her first wow. year actually going to actual school, you know, and so they've missed a lot of these things. And so that is the concern I have is like, you know, if they hadn't experienced it. Is it still going to be something they're interested in doing so i've heard a lot of the
0: top drum corps saying uh similar things that they need to be aware of this problem in Mm -hmm. five years time in six years time this isn't something that we can forget about You Mm -hmm. know, when we when we get to Mm 2026, we need to remember that there is some lingering effects of this. Right. um, Always going to stay with us. However, I mean, you you might find this from your from your eldest as well. I've been surprised with how quickly the kids have just caught up. Uh, I've I've just recently got back to my own band um, and and, uh, multiple ages. We have eight year olds and we have 80 year olds in this band. (laughs) It's been surprising how quickly the kids actually just caught up with where they need to be and um just just aging in itself has just helped them just to grasp things quicker and um maybe maybe we're maybe we're overly concerned maybe the kids
1: just adapt and move on i do think there's an i i mean me saying it as i'm saying it i was literally thinking i was like you know (laughs) i mean we've set these um like standards but we the standards can change. They don't have to stay exactly. And they right. probably should, you know what I mean? Like, um, I know I could say for us at San Jose state, I think I could speak for most of my colleagues there and saying that, you know, we're very much interested in taking students into our school where they are and then trying to make them a little bit better. Hopefully by the time they leave, you know, we're not in the business of you are incapable of doing these things. You can't come here you know, and yeah. I mean, we uh, at the school in general is very much into the idea of um, raising students from one socioeconomic status to another, you know, so I think it's so in some ways for us, you know, I, I'm not sure it'll change things. Um, we just might have to adjust what we can do or instrumentation. I don't know. but you, it might, it, we have no idea what's going to happen. This is all crystal ball gazing, you know, um, and what's going to happen. But uh, I think it's, I think for me, I just have in the back of my mind to be prepared for that. Like, you know, I, maybe I you don't do Wits of Nagual that year, you know, that, that be, maybe, you know, maybe
0: yeah. not. Um, I often joke that at the beginning of the pandemic, we all talked about this two week reset that we were all going through. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And, uh, you know, 18 months later. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, if we apply that same logic now to where we are, we're only 18 months into this long-term sort mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, review of what's happened, you know, in six years time, you know, um, yep. there, there may be more or less. Um, but, but I think, um, I think musicians adapt I think you're I think you're absolutely right, right. I, think, I think we adapt and and there's great music at all levels out there to be
1: played anyway, oh yes so. of course yeah that that part it really doesn't matter you know it's good music's good music doesn't yeah. matter you know so we just find the good Ta- music tell me a little bit about
0: the uh about the university um and the the music department there um, I'd love to find out more about it um, um is, sure. is there many uh is there many people majoring in music
1: at San Jose State uh Yes, I just just so you know really quick. Uh it says alert lost connection to server on my end, so I just want Oh, oh it on, says yeah, reconnected. It's, at, it's, re, it's So re, I didn't re, I didn't yeah. want to lose something. No, there, so no, no, that's, that's fine. Know. I think we I think we're Um right. so the Oh, about San Jose state. Okay. So, yeah, we have we're we're not a huge music school and we're not a really really tiny music school. You know, um I want to say um Oh gosh, I probably should have had this these numbers off the top of my head. But I want to say we're, when you count it all up, 250, some majors, 250, 275 wow. majors, I think. Um, and that's a lot. I mean, we have, we have like summer masters music ed program. We have, you know, we have, you know, choral orchestra, you know, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of different students majoring in different ways, masters programs. Um, but, um, yeah. And it's had, it's had a long history. San Jose state university is actually the very first university in California um which a lot of people don't realize yeah um in fact I love telling Travis Cross this that they they based UCLA off of San Jose State when they when it was designed and so I'm always like yeah but we were first you know that type of thing but (laughs) UCLA is on a different like planet than we are you know so um In a good way, he's fantastic, and their program's awesome, you know. Um, But uh, it's it's been around for a very long time with a very rich history. Um, uh, And so it's you know I've been there for the past let's see I'm in my fifth is that right I'm in my fifth year there, um, and I started here in fall of 2017, um, and I've been happy at this. I really love working with the student population. I think that that has been. And, and was one of the reasons I was interested in the position to begin with is that um, we have an extremely diverse population. And I don't mean just in terms of uh, race and ethnicity, I mean, a lot of it. So I have in my ensemble, currently, I have students who are first generation college students, a lot of them,
0: Mm. I
1: have students who come from very affluent backgrounds, I have students who are in their second or third careers, and they just love music and they're getting master's degrees now, you know. Um, So when I look at my conducting class or my um, or the wind ensemble, I think that's the thing I love the most is that I really see the power of that diversity and what it brings to an ensemble. Um, And I love the fact that we work um, so much with students uh, that would normally Maybe not get that opportunity because uh, they don't have the you know financial background or, or help um, in the community, and we can help provide that for them. I think we I think we I think we do a good job of taking students um, from where they are and uh, making them really outstanding performers, educators, um, co- composers. All of our all of our different degrees by the time they leave. Yeah.
0: What what do you think it is about the the university that that encourages that? kind of diversity uh, and, and, and uh, diversity in, in many different uh, areas, um, particularly, yeah. you know, in terms of uh, financial and um, uh, uh, socioeconomic diversity, that, that can be quite difficult for a university to, to achieve, I'm sure. What do you think it is that you guys do well? Well, I think
1: that, I mean, in some ways it's baked into the like genetics of the school. It was kind of right. designed that way from the very beginning, you know, as a teacher's college, that type of thing um or normal normal school uh, that's what they used to call them and um so i think that's part of it i think the other big thing is that where we are in the bay area is an exceptionally diverse area right. of the bay Area. i mean that's just our locals this is what it's <laughs> like we 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 absolutely i think look like the community that we're in uh for the most part um and i i think that it's a it's a commitment on the university side of things. I know we have for instance, there is um, uh, there are programs for the east side of San Jose, which is uh, usually um, uh, less uh, social, less, less economically privileged than other places in Silicon Valley. Because the other thing we have in this area, as I'm sure everyone knows who knows anything about the internet, Google, Facebook, all this stuff, we have, like, incredibly filthy rich areas. Of this area, and then we have some extremely not that areas in okay. San Jose as well. So there's a program at the university to uh, students get a certain GPA in those high schools, they're automatically accepted at San Jose State, and they can go there to encourage them. Um, those are the, those are the students we're really looking for. It's um, I, I like to say we're scrappy, you know. I like I like that idea of like you know we we probably don't have the funding and. Um, uh, some of the bells and whistles a lot of places have, but I kind of mm. like that. I kind of like the fact that we take um, we take them and, and perhaps we, in my ensembles, perhaps they're experiencing music in a way they haven't experienced it before. And I like having that impact. I think that's always been a thing I've been interested in, in pursuing in my career is making that type of impact.
0: One of the most exciting parts of any journey is the anticipation of the adventure to come. Planning your route, investigating the attractions, and researching the local culture. But sometimes, as music educators, it's easy to get swept up in the mountain of work it takes to bring your students on that next band trip. And that joy and anticipation can be lost, or worse, can turn into dread. With over 28 years of experience, Kaleidoscope Adventures has a world-class team of travel and performance experts ready to make this process not just easy, but exciting, leaving you and your students to continue doing what you do best and looking forward to an experience of a lifetime. When you're ready to travel beyond expectations, contact Kaleidoscope Adventures at mykatrip.com. Let's find out a little bit about you, David. Uh, we haven't spoken to you about your your sort of musical journey, and I know uh, you said you you said you were born and raised, and then quickly uh, changed that to well well raised, uh, yeah. on, the West, on the West Coast. So 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 born in North, North Carolina, uh, yep. but uh, but. Uh, before before one year of age, move, moving out to the West Coast. So, so you're a West Coast child. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit. I've never been that that direction uh, and that part of the world. I'm, I'm looking forward we'll, to being. We'll fix
1: that soon. We'll fix that hopefully. Soon for you, but yeah. hopefully. <laughs> um, um
0: So tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit. Of, like, you come from a musical family, uh, David. Was it
1: um, was it something that was expected of you? Oh, definitely not. Uh, I don't think it was definitely. <laughs> it wasn't something expected, and uh, my mother. Uh, plays piano and she sang like through college and everything. She did um, Sweet Adelines, which is kind of like barbershop quartet, but for uh, women usually. Mm. And I can't believe I'm going to say this on a public, you know, podcast thing, but I at one point in time they used to do this. Like, you know, I would like the son or the kids would be involved, and so I'm sure there's some old 1980s video out there of me like doing this with them or whatever. But so so she was involved in music, my grandfather, her father, also, he would love to tell me he played baritone in the University of Iowa band, you know, I was a he, he was very happy about that. But no one did it professionally. I'm really mm-hmm. the first one um, to do that. And I should say, I, since we're doing this, my grandmother on my dad's side also played cello. And uh, she lived in Hawaii. That's all we don't have enough time on this podcast to go over (laughs) that whole thing. But anyway, so so there is and it's always been a big part of our Mm. life and our family. Um, We've had a piano in our house since forever. I started playing. I started on piano. It was my first instrument. Um, I then picked up trumpet in fifth grade. Um, Yeah, in fifth grade, and did that all the way through high school and then went to college. I actually started at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and then, for many reasons, including my dad, you know, um, his job let him go, and I was paying out-of-state tuition at University of Illinois, so I moved back to California um, and finished up at uh, CSU Stanislaus, which is in the Central Valley. It was a wonderful experience, um, and that's where I met my now wife um, when we were at uh, school there. And then from there, I got a bachelor of music in music education, and. It was really great experience for me at that time, especially going from Illinois to Stanislaus. So Illinois is like university of Illinois at the time was like 65,000 undergraduates or something. It was, it's, and I'm sure it's bigger now it's, it's humongous. And I think Stanislaus is 7,000, you know, 6,000, 7,000. So it was a very drastic change, but it worked out in the sense that as I was starting to focus on education and conducting, I was getting more one-on-one. I was getting a lot of like one-on-one work with, um, Teachers, two of the most influential for me early on, uh, Dr. And, Ed Harris. And was that predominantly
0: yeah. for conducting or was it yes. trumpet? Or, yes, for so conducting. conducting yeah, at for... that stage was, was <laughs> yes. a goal.
1: Well, so it, it actually happened. So I, I just mentioned like Dr. Ed Harris was the first one I worked with there. Mm-hmm. And I took conducting with him. And he was the one that was like, hey, uh, they do these conducting workshops. You should go to one. And i was like i didn't even know this was a thing hadn't we can do this i remember like looking around this is a thing people do and i went to one it was actually the university of minnesota one that used to i think it still exists and um they were allowing undergrads to go and that was really eye-opening to me and this was um it was a while ago it was 2001 something like that but then i i came back and started realizing oh this is something i guess i have a modicum of talent in, so i should you know, encourage that. And I had a great teacher there. uh, Ed actually. (laughs) So this is where it gets kind of weird. Here is like, Ed actually left that year to take the job at San Jose State University. And uh, who uh, the man that came in after him, was Stuart Sims, who's a really, really great friend of mine and a fantastic conductor. And I got to work with him uh, pretty closely. And we're we're great friends. And um, so I had a really wonderful, rich education in it really early on. Um, And then I taught for, uh, I taught one year at Hillmar High School, which is uh, near uh, uh, Stanislaus there. And then I taught for five years. I think that's right. People (laughs) listening might have to correct me on that at Lodi High School up in Lodi, California. And that was a a wonderful experience. And then from there, master's degree I did at University of Oregon with Bob Ponto. Um, And that was a awesome experience it was great and then from there oh sorry did you have a question I'm sorry yeah just what
0: oh. was the what was the um drive uh, and motivation for you to move from high school teaching to uh, college uh, uh, direction because Ooh, it seems as an outsider uh, like like you know like they might be quite similar sort of roles but actually any time that I talk to someone that actually quite different roles and you're dealing with students at a totally sort of different
1: emotional level and what was your, what was Sometimes. your motivation? Right? You know? <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, I would say that at the time, at the time, I, I mentioned already uh, earlier that I think I know this about myself, that what I, what makes me happy and what makes kind of like, you know, uh, drives the bus, you know, uh, fires me up is that ability to make an impact. And I was doing that teaching high school. And everyone listening, by the way, if you teach anything, any subject, any music, elementary, middle school, high, you are making a difference. You are making a huge difference in the, that community and the students' lives, even if you don't see it and no one tells you that. I promise you, you're making that that difference. Um, but I felt, I don't know, I felt it felt kind of like it's going to sound stupid to say like a calling, like it really felt like something I, I'd like to make a broader impact. I started mm-hmm. to see, I'm not going to say issues, but I started to see things where I was like, I think this could be better or we could do better about this um, in, in bands or wins or in conducting or whatever. And I think, you know, I have some ideas about that and I'd like to explore. And part of it was also, I just knew I wasn't as, as good as I wanted to be at doing it. So getting the, the additional education helped me you know in in being a better um te- hopefully be, help uh, be a better teacher and conductor um but it was it was that you know and that only got more intense through the training i just started noticing more things i started doing presentations and like recognizing um you know where i think we could improve things and hopefully inspire others to do that exact same thing so that was kind of the big drive i would say for, for going,
0: and tell me tell me about some of those things that you wanted to improve, and and, and um, mm. you know, uh, how, do you feel like you're you're making progress? Um? <laughs> oh man, I mean, that's a very unfair question.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all are making progress, but it it, it it feels like most of the time, like it's a giant giant cement block, and I have like the world's tiniest hammer and chisel, <laughs> and I'm just like pecking away at things. And no one even sees it. You know, it's like this immense thing. No one can even see the end of it. And I'm just in my little corner. I'm like, boop, there we go. Made a little change. Um, in terms of the the things, uh, I, I don't know. It's I think the big ones earlier on were, were that I wanted to connect more what we did in the, in our ensembles to the lived experiences of our students. Okay. So I felt early on especially that a lot of the – programming was fairly stodgy and um there was a lot of really fantastic repertoire out there that just wasn't being connected with because it's not part of the you know quote unquote canon or whatever Mm. you know i'm not sure being older now that that was as prevalent as i thought it was (laughs) you know that's part of the perspective you get perspective as you get older you know but that was an early drive for it i was also really and still am um kind of obsessed with electronics and using electronic ideas in compositions that my entire doctoral recital used um, uh, pieces with live electronics. Um, and, you know, trying to encourage like, this is not a bad thing in our medium. It's a good it, it has to be done well. And anyone who's written with electronics, you know, Alex and Stephen and plenty of others, you know, uh, they know that it has to be the electronic part has to be if better you know than than even the band part to make it sound good so i i was really interested in that and now it's kind of transitioned in my i guess oh my gosh do i have to say it my middle years or whatever right in my uh, middle age
0: it's it's, 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 not, it's not not quite your autumn years yes.
1: thank you yes thank you i appreciate it gold star five star review for the You're podcast. summer now. period That's at right. the moment. there you go right summer perfect um but now i think it's transitioned to um The things I want to make an impact on are on uh, how we how we treat our students and 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 what we address in the ensemble rehearsals are we approaching this from a holistic uh, through the student uh, experience you know is the goal to make all the notes and rhythms and intonation all that line up of course we all yes That is a great idea. Is it the most important goal? And I would argue, no, that the the most important goal is learning the why of what we're communicating. And then how do we do that as conductors? And so that's become a huge part of my pedagogy and the way I try to run uh, ensemble rehearsals and my uh, conducting courses as well. So it's shifted a little bit as it, as it's moved through it, if anything, it just keeps ballooning up, (laughs) you know, like the umbrella is getting bigger and bigger Um, trying to, you know, I'm kind of like obsessed with trying to figure out not putting band-aids on problems, but really what's at the root cause of those, like, why do we have this obsession with competitions or with, you know, ratings and all this stuff and is it because we're focusing so much on that and not on the you know why of what we're doing the other day we had a um rehearsal and uh my students that end up listening to this well no it wasn't the greatest rehearsal we've ever had we've had we've had better um but one of my favorite moments of it was when we're working on right now we're working on symphonic dances from west side story it's really great um transcription of it and um it just wasn't connecting. They were playing, you know, basically they were, follow- they were following me and they were playing well, but they weren't connecting. I felt like with what it's about. And so we were playing through part of somewhere, you know, a uh, portion. And I just asked them, what is this to you? And there's no wrong answer to this. Like, what is this to you? And oh my gosh, their answers. I'll tear up right now. If I start thinking of it, it was really beautiful. And then as soon as we we're done, I was like, you know, I want to hear that. That's what I Mm. want to hear through this. You played all the right notes and it was in tune, mostly, when we just did it, you know. I want to hear that part of it, though. And that next time through was like lightning. It was so much better. And so to me, I just keep getting that confirmation of this is something we need to do more of. Um, Anyway. Is... Is it as simple? Well, and I know it's not as simple as that. But is
0: it as part of the solution here to get to that why of why we do what we do? Mm-hmm. Just asking the question to the musicians, it, just letting them articulate yes. why they're doing this because we don't <laughs> yes. do that. I, I, we don't you know? do that.
1: I know it's actually like it's so funny because rarely in life are there like it's a simple solution and it actually works really well. Like I know whenever I find one of those, and like if I'm like installing a light in my house and it goes quickly and easily, I'm like. Why haven't I done this before? This is like, I'm going to go do this. You know, like, so, so it is, it is as simple as that. It gives them agency, right? Mm -hmm. They have a buy-in to what they're doing. Someone might've said, you know, loss, because that's what they're thinking about in that moment. And someone else might've said, you know, wanting to belong. Both are valid and both can be expressed in that music. But what's most important is that that person, that soul, that living being sitting there is communicating that through their saxophone or whatever it is they've decided right. to put in their face that it's communicated through that. Yeah. I, I
0: remember watching um, a, a movie that we're probably all um, uh, very familiar with, um, Doctor Holland's Opus or Mr Holland's Opus. Mr. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, w- you know, and I was, I was a young the sunset. teacher. I was a young teacher, right? I was yeah. like Eighteen or nineteen. I was like, I will never ever do that it's all about pedagogy and mm-hmm. I will never, the older that I get, the more I become like Mr. Holland.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like all media things, it's like a little blown yeah. out of proportion, like drumline to is saying, you know, it's like, it's not <laughs> quite like that, you know, but the, the point, like I made that joke earlier, of, you know, play the sunset. He's mm. not wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's... Like that's probably the best part of that film. Like, honestly, <laughs> like that to me, at least that that's, that's what's missing if we all everyone listening to this right now if you stop and think of like your most impactful music experience i doubt right now you're thinking they played all the notes and rhythms right i don't think that's what you're thinking you're thinking about how you were moved emotionally you were taken aback you were you know um taken out of time i mean uh my my wife who started as a music major and now she does elementary teaching not not music but uh, we went to go hear um, a premiere in San Francisco of uh, John Adams. Um, oh, my gosh, it's going to uh, the flowering tree. It's a beautiful oratorio, by the way, just gorgeous. And she will admit to this and I, I'm fine with saying it, I'm sure publicly or whatever she she you know, she's the person who will count the exits in the concert hall, you know, like is kind of easily distracted <laughs> and not paying attention. And she leaned over to me in that piece. Just like i was completely enraptured by it as she leaned over and said i don't want this piece to end you know and it's like and that experience is what we're after for our audiences and those of us that teach in education for our ensembles because that's what's going to make lifelong artists out of them not just musicians not just teachers but they're really thinking that's our power that's what we can bring to other people we can take them into a concert hall and they see 50 to 80 people on a stage making one piece of art together. I mean, it's, it's, we all know that it's magic. It's literally mad. It's as close as we can get. I mean, we use batons, you know what I mean? We're, we're as close to Harry Potter as you can get, you know, in the real world. So, so I think we need to highlight that more personally. Like that's the, that's a thing. And when I adjudicate and when I go do clinics, I, I, I talk about that a lot. That's a big
0: part of I. That. I know I'm always on dangerous ground when I ask college directors to give advice to uh, middle school and high school directors, but I'm (laughs) going to ask the question anyway. (laughs) Oh (laughs) yes, it's something that I'm struggling with right now at the moment. You know, we're just Mm -hmm. getting back into rehearsals. I have um, a a band of uh, mixed abilities, as Mm -hmm. most community bands are in in Mm -hmm. in, uh, in Ireland. Europe Um, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to find you know something to engage everyone clearly we have to do music that's technically easier because I have Mm -hmm. to appeal to uh, younger players and and, and play program music that's appropriate Mm -hmm. Uh, but I still need to try and engage the the more advanced players and and part of my solution to that is to do something that's emotionally engaging with them how can we engage should we be engaging it's uh, probably yes. the this question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but like how how do we do it with younger people is it the same method do,
1: do we just ask them why or what yeah. is this what does it mean to you like is is that is that what I we think do I think so I think so I really do I mean I know and 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 full disclosure here <laughs> I I taught high school last in 2008 so things are different and things have changed <laughs> and I taught middle school for one year so so I know I'm speaking without like you know, I haven't been in the trenches like everyone right. else has about this. However, I will say the times I've gone out and done this, I have done middle school honor bands, and I've done um, high school groups and clinics and, and a lot of stuff like that. I really feel like when we spend the time asking them about what this is to them, what does this, what does this phrase, what does this section mean to you? What does this sound like? Describe it as a picture. Describe it. What scene is this in a movie? Whatever, filling in the blank getting them to think about what it is they're trying to communicate. I think it does a bunch of things. First of all, it shows them we value what they think, which from a conductor standpoint is a great thing because sometimes they probably feel like it doesn't matter. Like we just get told what to do. And two, I think it inspires them to play it better because now they know what they're, it's not just like, make sure I play the F sharp because I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to miss the key signature. I don't want to do the wrong note they go, I want to play the F sharp, because if I don't, that doesn't communicate this idea that I want to communicate. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've done this also, I mean, we part of this came out of uh, a lot of the work uh, I've done, um, in particular, with um, a great colleague of mine, and good friend of mine, Colleen Sears at TCNJ, where we were doing a lot of work on uh, um, involving how do we how do we address social justice issues in an ensemble rehearsal, you know, and doing this type of work, what does this mean? My experience has been with both my ensembles and ones I've clinicked and done uh, presentations on with this is that it makes the performance better. We have a tendency to think like, oh, I can't can't possibly spend 15 minutes of my rehearsal asking them how they feel because they can't play this scale right or they can't do this rhythm yet. And I would argue literally every single time They'll never forget how to play it right once they know why they're doing it. Right, That's a great they'll point. still make some. They'll make some like technical mistakes. Everyone does. We all do. Professionals yeah. make, tech, you know. But they'll remember why they're doing it, not just you know, Doctor Vickerman told me to do it, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I really feel like that. Why is? It's critical to this process. It really is.
0: I'm not sure where the quote comes from, but this idea of the conductor being the uh, the last bastion of the dictator that's breaking yeah. down. I think, uh, you know, and, and, please, thank God. You know, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah, we need, I mean, we need that oof. to break down. And yeah. this, this idea that there's, there's, there's
1: two way communication seems to be at the heart of what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I want it to be, and there's definite, I mean, this isn't, I, I will say that, especially at like maybe more advanced levels of playing, I don't I'm not sure it's an abdication of choices and responsibilities and stuff. It's more mm-hmm. for me, at least at a college level, to try to get them to think about it in a different way. Like, where do you think this phrase goes? Why do you think it goes that way? They come up with a different thing that I want them to say. It'll be like, well, let's try it both ways. Let's try it doing like, let's think of this when we're doing it. Now let's try it this other way. Which one did you guys Mm -hmm. like? And in my mind, I'm always like, "Please pick the one I like because that's that's what I want you to do." But you know, if everyone's like, <laughs> no, "No, no, no, we're going," go. yeah, I was like, "Okay, I guess I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go back to the drawing board." You know, but oftentimes it's just getting them to think about it, you know, and and then for me, it's it's you know invigorating because it's like, why do I like it better that way? Why hmm. why does this communicate this way different to me? And then I try to get well. I think for this reason, whatever I know, this is very kind of like. We're not talking about specific examples, so it's hard to uh, say that. But I, I think probably I everyone think, yeah.
0: probably has examples of this in, in, their, exactly. in their own playing or yeah. conducting. Um, I'm sure everyone is thinking of something very specific as we're having this mm-hmm. conversation. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I remember having an argument when I was when I was quite young, uh, yeah. you know, 16, 17, with, with my uh, conductor, Ron O'Reilly, one of the best conductors I've ever worked with, just such yeah. a musical guy. Um yeah. Uh, but I, could, I i had a completely opposite viewpoint on on a particular phrase i mean, this is this is just coming to mind with me now yeah. um and uh, and he he was open to that suggestion of why 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 <laughs> now, it was more, more because I was pressing him on the issue you know? <laughs> um but it was it was great it was one and and that that debate about you know it was a simple uh you know 8b phrase man mm-hmm. but that debate really opened my eyes to Becoming yep. a musician—that was one of the turning points for me. Actually, yeah. having that conversation and the fact yeah. that it was a debate and quite
1: heated actually yeah. made it even better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we love those students. Honestly, no one wants to admit it, but those are like, oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> like the fact that you have opinions about music—heck yeah, I'll take that student any day. You know, uh, there's a I'll, there's an audition I'll never forget, and I won't say the student's name, but if he listens to this, he'll know who it is. Um, I it was at the end. We do ensemble auditions, and it was over like three days, and I was tired and. At that point in time, I think I would have paid someone to come in and play a phrase. I just like, I was just, ple- I'm so tired of everyone trying to play the highest, loudest thing they can do. I just want to hear musicality. And this young man, who's a very talented trumpet player, came in, played all the notes and rhythms exactly where they're supposed to be. And I just couldn't help myself. I got done. And I was like, you played it all exactly the way it's notated. And I just don't care about it. I don't. Care about what you just played, and I stood. I was like, "Can we work on this together? Let's just work on this. This This is a piece they're working on." And I asked the same thing we were just talking about. I was like, "What is this opening? This opening, what is this to you?" And of course, the first answer is like, "Well, it's a, it's an A phrase, and it's allegro." I was like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I don't mean describe it to me in theory terms. Like, what is in your? What are you communicating? What is it here? What's a visual?" And it took a while to kind of get that out. And they finally said. Well, it feels like a tower ascending out of the ground. I was like, oh, that's rad. I like that idea. And then I was like, I'm going to go back to my seat. Can you play that to me? I want to hear the tower coming out of the ground. And it was so different. Hmm. That performance that they went through, because now they were thinking about, I want to communicate that idea from me to you. And I remember uh, telling him, I was like... if <laughs> I would have probably cried if you would have played it that way the first time, like that's exactly what we want you all doing. And, you know, to those of you out there who have had experiences like this and you know, you're like, Oh, that was a good teaching moment. I know that there was a connection there. I can tell you, even if you don't ever hear that this person did come back to me and told me, found me at a rehearsal to specifically talk about that moment in the audition because it made such an impact and is now a professional uh, trumpet player you know so yeah i mean that's not i'm not patting myself on the back i'm just trying to i'm trying to give everyone the evidence that's listening like yes Mm. do that it it 100 percent is probably and 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 your younger players they're not gonna they're still gonna make some mistakes as they're doing those things but at least they'll know the goal why they are trying to play the scale correctly or this passage correctly
0: Well, David, it's been fascinating talking to you about this. Um, It's something that I feel very passionately about right now at the moment as we're getting back into band rehearsals and and Mm -hmm. trying to find reasons that we're all turning up every week as well. So uh, I really enjoyed talking to you about this. I'd love to talk to you about it more. But um, we're going to get to our off the rostrum section now uh, where we talk about things that are not about music. Uh, But before we do that, because I don't (laughs) want to forget, um, your wind ensemble, is it? Has a concert coming up on October 22nd? Uh, Yes bit about
1: that yeah so we're i mean i think in the email i sent you we have a concert and i put like exclamation points in parentheses like i can't believe i get to say that it's been so yeah so on october 22nd at the hammer theater in downtown san jose um we usually play on campus hammer theaters uh theater downtown that's part of san jose so it's a little more special um we're doing the big piece on the program, Symphonic Dances from West Side Story. It's the Paul Lavender arrangement, which is just the lift from the orchestral parts. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of kids are mm. having a blast playing it. But it's, uh, we're also doing uh, the wind ensemble portion of the program. We're also doing the Rodrigo Adagio para Orchestra de Instrumentos de Viento. Uh, and then my graduate student, Arkan Abaya, is going to be doing Conga del Fuego Nuevo by Marquez. Uh, but I wanted to make since this was kind of like one of the first big events back, especially for the bands, um, so we're doing some extra stuff. And I'm kind of, you know, this is, I do this all the time. I'm always like, why did I do this to myself? It makes this concert so much harder than, than normal, you know, cause I added all these things, but we're gonna be uh, our Latin jazz ensemble. We have a Latin jazz ensemble at San Jose State uh, taught by Jeff Lewis. He's fantastic and they play great. They're gonna come in and they're gonna do a couple um, actual Puerto Rican tunes uh and play those at the beginning of the concert and then students from our opera theater program directed by uh professor sandra Bengochea, they're going to come in and sing some of the songs with a from west side story um and then to top it all off when we play some dances from west side story are we have a dance team as part of our marching wow. band uh, and they're going to come in and do dances with us on the stage which is going to be so I am I am absolutely looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun,
0: and it, um, it's amazing to have live events back again. Uh, again I know,
1: I know, incredible. <laughs> yeah,
0: really happy about that. So, <laughs> well, let's find out more about uh, David Vickerman with <laughs> Off the roster. Oh no. Okay, let's start. Um, what has is been this the R-rated favorite... portion? Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, this, this is, is the part <laughs> that goes on the, um, on, on the subscribe only. There we go. Um, right, right, right. This is the extra part. Yeah. <laughs> the Global Band Room Only Fans account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what has been... <laughs> oh, dear. <Yeah. laughs> what has been your favorite... Vac... Don't Google this. Uh, what has yeah. been your favorite vacation ever?
1: Oh. oh, man. That's a good question. Let's see um i think you know yeah it's this one i think we were just and it might be a sucker because my daughter just had her birthday but um a couple years back right before pandemic i think it was 20 december of 2019 uh we did the really cool thing i've always wanted to do this we um surprised the kids at christmas with tickets to disneyland And then we literally got in the car that day and drove down there. And um, so, you know, I've had some really, I've been very fortunate to have some really wonderful uh, vacations, but that one is just so potent in my memory still right now. And partly... Because I got to go to Star Wars land. And I think if I'm being honest, that might be like, you know, driving the bus there a little bit with that decision. But <laughs> but it was a great I mean, it was just like the time with the, the kids there. And, you know, my youngest was like four or five, was like, the, like the best age to take yeah. to Disneyland. It's just everything is magical and it's amazing. And um, you see it through their eyes. And I think that's what makes it so special. Um,
0: Every, everyone can be cynical about Disney
1: until they have kids. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Everyone hearing that? Yeah, exactly. You're right. And you know what? I, I was one of the people who was like, I don't even care. I love it. I think it's great. I will, I'm yeah. a complete sap for it. So it's totally fine. But seeing it again through them, like yeah. when I was, I grew up in the Bay Area, we would play in Disneyland almost every single year. So, I mean, I tell people all the time, if you, if you blindfold me and say I'm on main street, I could walk exactly where I need to go without even looking like I've been there and you know, wow. so, but seeing it for the first time, them seeing it for the first time like that, that's just you can't put a price tag on that it's awesome yeah
0: what is your favorite sport my favorite oh man okay
1: this is this is a tough okay it's football it's american football sorry not european football it's american football i got Um, it i got it (laughs) yeah 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 i mean i play like way too much fantasy football um it's like it's way too much. But I, I think I have three teams right now <laughs> going. Um, but uh, anyway, it's uh, I, I think I got into it because it's it feels in some ways like the exact opposite of what I do for a, a job where it's like all statistics and random, you know, like the choices I make are like, it doesn't really matter. Like I could put someone in, I think it's gonna be great and they get injured, you know, you know like, so I, I think I, and I love strategy games. I've always been someone who loves mm-hmm. strategy games. And so- there's a lot of football I feel like where there's so much strategy that goes into how it's played. And so I, I really appreciate that part of the game. I don't appreciate a lot of the aspects of the NFL and stuff that's going on, but it's hard to like, you know, Oh man, I, I really struggle with that part, but I like the game. You should get into European rugby. Oh, I want to, I want to. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I I actually like right underneath football is hockey. I love hockey. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, um, it just, it's harder to follow. My, my schedule's so busy. Like football's nice. Cause it'll be like one, like you have one day, there's some games like hockey. It's all the time. So it's hard to keep track of the games as much, but yeah. And we're also super happy. I've been a, a San Francisco Giants fan since I was a kid and I haven't been following as much as I should this year, but super happy. They're, you know, in the LD, NLDS. So it's awesome for them. Yeah.
0: What is your favorite fast food? Ooh,
1: my favorite. Now, uh, fast I, I'm food. guessing, like,
0: would you be from California? There's only one answer to
1: that. Is that right? Oh,
0: I'm what here, is there's it? There's like a Texas-California. There's a Texas-California sort of divide on Whataburger burger and what's. Oh,
1: dude, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, this is like In-N-Out or whatever. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, so like, I gotta say, and it's because, like, you know, I am let's say I'm not the smallest person on the planet, you know? So like, I can't have some of this as much as I would love to. I like looking at it, you know, and and kind of living vicariously through people with good metabolism. But um, I gotta say, I gotta say, I, I don't know if it's considered fast food, but pizza. Do we follow pizza under that? Cause I feel like when I have it, it's like, Oh man, I am completely blowing my entire week's you know caloric intake in like <laughs> and was one you try shot. The
0: pizza or you know, oh, it's a kind
1: of a wide range. <laughs> well, I lived in I lived in Jersey for for five mm. years, and so I've been spoiled, and I think that that's that's really tough. I I enjoy. Um, I'm like a carnivore. I enjoy meat pizza. I'll just be honest. I'll be honest on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you've been like you know. But I think the usual is like you know sausage, pepperoni, olives. Oh yeah, that's that's the business. That's yeah, really good. Okay, two more questions. Uh, what was the last book you read? Ooh, um, uh, effortless. And I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. I can't remember the name of the the author right now. I wonder if I can look it up really quick. Uh, something McCown. Oh my gosh. Um, it's great by the way. So Greg McCown, Greg McCown. So, um, it's a fantastic book. Everyone who teaches, especially all you people, if anyone's listening, who teaches at a university, you should 100% read this book. And it's been like, it's been my, um, like beacon all this semester. I've gone into so many meetings and being like, how can we simplify this? You know, how can we, there is no need for this to be as convoluted as it is. You know, at, at so many universities, I'm sure everyone listening to this that teaches at one knows what I'm about. You know, you know, this same thing that happens at your school. It's like, well, the students need to do this. They need to fill out this form. And to get that form, you need to fill out this other form. And for that form, you need to go to this office. You know, the, the amount of administrative bureaucracy is ridiculous. So I'm always I, it's, it's been and like when we have our bands meetings with the staff and everything, I'm like, how do we simplify this? How do we make this as simple as possible? You know, so that book was, has kind of been a lightning rod for me. Yeah.
0: Last question. Um, who's your hero?
1: Oh, man, who's my hero? Um, that's a really tough question. That's a really tough question. I think that um, I don't know if it would have been different before the pandemic. You know what I mean? I think that mm. that, that things have have shifted, um, you know, and, and probably a lot of that is also coming with age and everything. I mean, there's. I'm gonna cheat. And I'm gonna give a few because I don't okay. think really I can go with one. <laughs> um, but um, uh, my conducting teachers, for sure, I, I I look up to them not just for the education, but I feel really blessed that that all of them. Are also uh, just wonderful people and um, have a good sense of balance, I feel like, in their lives, something I emulate poorly, um, but really try to. Um, So, you know, people like I mentioned, Ed Harris, uh, Stuart Sims, Bob Ponto, and Harlan Parker at Peabody for my doctorate, all of them have been extremely influential um, for obvious reasons. and i would be remiss if i didn't say my parents i mean that's a real you know especially having kids and um you know experiencing it on this side too i saw someone post the other day and i think it's totally true you don't realize when you're a kid you're watching your parents grow up too you know that it's mm. that it's you know no one gave us a manual on how to do this and we're making it up i mean i was telling my parents about stuff my kids are doing. And I think my mom's exact answer was like, I'm glad I don't have kids. Right. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, I don't have to raise them right now. Like, this is crazy. I wouldn't know what to do, you know? And so, and so they were thinking those same things when we were growing up. And so I, you know, um, they're, they're extremely loving people. They have come to, I mean, almost every concert I've ever done. And they don't they live in Washington State, they've lived in different states that entire time. So you know, I look up to them quite a bit and, and try to hope I can, you know, be somewhat the parent that they have been to me. David, it's been absolutely wonderful
0: to have you on the show. Um, great to get to know you a little bit more. Um, if yeah, people want
1: to find out more
0: about about you and your work, where can they go? What, where can sure it find you?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now, probably the easiest way is via social media. So um, you're more than welcome. This is what I, what do I usually tell people? Uh, if you want, um, if you want to find out about what we're doing with the bands, you can follow at SJSU Bands. So San Jose State University at SJSU Bands that's all the professional stuff. If you'd like to see pictures of cute kids, you can follow me on Instagram, <laughs> you know, and that's at D Vickerman. That's mostly pictures of kids and occasionally some stuff I do at work. Um, and we'll post links to, uh, works and, and things we're doing like that. I think I have a website, but my goodness, I haven't updated it in forever. So no one go to that. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty old right now, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's probably the easiest way. And, and please, if anyone has any questions about anything I talk about, I'd be, I'd be happy to chat with you. Um, offline or via email or just reach out happy to happy to provide that
0: and you'll find all of those links in the show notes for the episode and you'll be able to connect with david david thank you so much um have a great sleep <laughs> yeah I was like, i'm gonna just roll out of here straight into bed but yeah it, i really and thank you for having me day. on it's
1: great it was it was a real uh, pleasure to meet you and talk with everyone and and, and i appreciate you uh giving me the invite to be here. thanks david all right, thanks a lot, Keith.
0: Thank you so much again for joining me and my guests in the band room this week. I'll be back next episode talking to more great guests from around the band world. So head over to wherever you get your podcast from and make sure you subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, maybe even leave us a review and share it with your band buddies. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Band and on our website, globalbandroom.com. Until next time... I'll see you back in MAM.